You know, we live in a culture in which if you don't accept a person's life choices, then you're automatically labeled as hating that person. If you don't like or approve of what someone does, then they all of a sudden think that you hate them. You don't love them because culture has created this really strong association with acceptance and value to the point to where we feel attacked when someone disagrees with us and our response is defensiveness. That if we think that someone doesn't like what we do, well, they must not care about us at all as a person. They must not uh, love us as an individual or think well of us as an individual. And so there becomes this idea that everything has to be okay and everybody has to be okay with everything and everyone has to be okay with whatever anyone does in order for me to be accepted because it feels like that's the goal. It feels like the goal is for everyone to just simply be accepted. But what does God say about acceptance when especially it comes to this culture that's so much driven by acceptance? And how should we live as Christians in it? I want us to go over to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And this is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever heard this phrase, Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus actually preaching on this hillside when I was able to go earlier this year to Israel. I was able to go to this place where they believe that this is where Jesus most likely taught in the Sermon on the Mount. It was really cool because it's kind of a nice little, you know, gradient enough to where you could sit on the hill without, uh, if you fell asleep, you wouldn't roll too far. You know, it looked like uh, there's a really nice view of the Sea of Galilee in the background. And of course, there's all sorts of different things that have been built there and to memorialize and commemorate, you know, what Jesus did on that supposed hill. And uh, there were a few other locations that it could have been, but most likely the traditional site is probably the one where he taught this. And so it was really cool getting to be there and think about these things that Jesus taught in this actual area with these people who were gathering around him. And what he says, man, it still rings true today, and I want us to just lean into this real heavy this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened up his mouth, and he taught them, this is what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus uses this word blessed before all of these different statements that he makes and he lets you know blessed are those who have this position or who look at things this way or people who take this type of posture. And he begins to use this word blessed. And what does he mean when he says this word? What's Jesus' intent of using this word blessed? Because we use the same word blessed and we attach all sorts of different meanings to it. When we say blessed, we may mean that, you know, maybe um, I have a lot of money in my bank account. I'm blessed. A lot of us think, well, I'm blessed because maybe of the, the situation that I find myself in. I'm, I'm blessed because I have health. I'm blessed because I have a uh, home, whatever. Like, what does that mean to be blessed? What does Jesus mean in this sermon when he's using this word? And so the real heart and the real intent and the idea behind it is basically Jesus saying that it is well, like you are in a state of well-being. It is well. It's kind of like that old song, it is well with my soul. And I know that everything is well and I am blessed because I know everything is well. I can be content in the middle of chaos. I can be content in the face of lack. I can be content when the world is going crazy around me and everything can still be okay with me because it is well. I am blessed. And this is the intended meaning of what Jesus was saying. And so all of these statements that Jesus makes here are something that he qualifies that you are blessed if you take this position, but they all have like this common idea behind them. Kind of this red thread that is woven all throughout these blessed statements that Jesus makes. And I want us to really focus in and hone in on that red thread and those things that tie all of these statements together. And here's what it is. Jesus making all these blessed statements really these blessings are all anchored in the idea and the concept of humility. Let's look at this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And when blessed are those who are reviled on Christ's account. This idea of humility, because here's what humility does. Humility is the heart posture of a person who realizes their need and their inability in their own strength to meet that need. We need to recognize that true humility is anchored in our realization that I have a need and I can't meet it. You see, pride says the opposite. Pride says, I have a need, but I can take care of things on my own. I am good on my own. I can figure things out on my own. And I'm pretty self-reliant and pretty self-dependent. And I can kind of make things up the way I want them to go. And so because of that, I just need Jesus to help me out when I get in the jam. Or when I get into something that's really difficult and I need some help. Or if I think my life is going pretty good, I've made pretty good choices and I'm ready to kind of launch into a lot of the things that I've prepared for myself. And you know what, Jesus? I really could use some of that blessing dust. Could you just sprinkle a little 
on this thing that I've done and this thing that I've created and this thing that I'm going to do. And if you could really bless it, whew, that'd help me out a ton. And so we're constantly taking the posture of always asking God to bless the things we're involved in rather than us siding with Christ and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want to order my steps? How do you want to direct my life? And creating this attitude and this heart posture of dependence on Christ. Because that's ultimately what we need to receive Christ in the first place. We must have a posture of humility because it takes a lot of humility to realize that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It takes a lot of humility to recognize I can't fix the sin problem that I have been a part of creating. It takes a lot of humility to say, because I can't fix it, I have to actually rely on someone else to fix it for me, and that's Christ. And it takes faith for me to believe that and receive that. That takes a lot of humility. Because a lot of us want to try to offset the scales of justice and tip them in our favor. And we want to try to do enough good to offset the bad. And so we spend our lives trying to be good people, and you know that we're full of pride and self-reliance because we have the audacity to say things like, why are bad things happening to me? I'm a good person. You see, we're starting with the belief and the posture that I'm good. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the bad things that I'm experiencing, and we think that somehow the universe is not being fair to us. We may even blame God and say God is not being fair to us because we inherently believe that we're good people in our own strength. When we recognize it takes humility to recognize that there is nothing good in me except Jesus Christ, and that any good that comes out of me is not a result of myself, but it is something that brings glory to God and God alone. Not something that I get to share in that and go, hey, look what I did, God. Not God, you're so lucky to have me on your team because I'm an A-plus player. No, it's me recognizing, man, I have been given grace. Grace is what I did not deserve. It takes a lot of humility to receive grace. And so why would we think that the thing that is required of us to recognize our sinfulness, to recognize our need, to humble ourselves and receive Christ as the answer to our need, do you think all of the sudden in this journey that we were to abandon that heart position and that posture, and were to abandon that only to take up self-reliance and God, thanks for the salvation stuff, I've got it from here. Do you think that's the way this is supposed to work? No. It's not the way it's supposed to work because the thing that required, was required of me to come to faith in Christ, which was this idea of humility that caused me to repent of my sin, confess my sin, confess my need, admit my, my, my need, and admit Christ as all-sufficient to meet my need, that's going to be the same thing required of me to grow in this journey. It's going to be the same thing required of me to share those same things with other people because it takes a lot of humility. So at no point do I get to go, I have arrived at a great place of Christianity to where, man, I am, I, I'm a starter on the team now and God sure is lucky to have me. No, it starts with humility. It continues in a spirit of humility. And actually, the more that we deepen our dependence upon Christ, the more humility begins to work in our hearts. Because God begins to work that posture in us. Because now I'm deepening my dependence. That's what prayer does. Prayer is this 
opportunity that God has given us to interact with him at a level where we can regularly declare our need for him, where we can regularly declare our insufficiency and our lack and how he's all sufficient and how we need him. We're regularly confessing and declaring that through this vehicle of prayer that he's given us. And so as we spend time with God in prayer, we are petitioning God and simultaneously he is working in us a greater degree of dependence and humility and showing us how he is all sufficient. He's showing us how he's more than enough. Because we say this often around BCC that we will never stop needing Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you have prayed or how many hours you've logged. Friends, these aren't merit badges for us to wear and polish in the eyes of God. This is working in us instead a greater degree of dependence of me recognizing, man, I really need Jesus. And I never stop needing him. And it keeps me in this position of humility where I can be meek where i can walk in this idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness where i can walk in this uh, stronger and deeper degree of being a person who is merciful all of these things that jesus is saying all of these things that the world is longing for that they're looking for the things that he's called us to be as salt and as light you you're not going to attain these things in your own strength and god bless those of you who are like hyper-disciplined individuals, who you make a decision to do something, and man, you just discipline your life's rhythm around that, and you just squeeze all of this stuff that you think, man, I'm going to achieve this, and I'm going to do it, and here's my 90-day plan to do it. My 90-day plan to become the best at being humble in the whole church, right? It, it, it doesn't, and, and you think you can discipline yourself into that, and you can't. Because if you think you can work harder in your own strength to get better at being humble, you're missing the whole point. And that's not even what I'm trying to suggest today, that we all work harder at being more humble. Because if I work harder in my own strength, then I'm the one who gets the credit when I get there, and I'll never get there in a pursuit of humility. You see, what I have to do is I have to stay anchored in the gospel. Because the more that I deepen my dependence on him and the more I remind myself of the gospel, the gospel tenderizes my heart into a place of humility. To where he begins to chip away these hard areas of my life. He begins to conform these things into the image of his son. He begins to sanctify me on this journey as I am growing in Christ's likeness and my life is reflected of him. This is what the gospel does. This is how it anchors us in humility so we can walk that blessed life that Jesus is talking about. So we can know it is well. So we can know that we are living as salt and we are living as light in this world. And humility is that heart posture. Man, it makes us get to this place where I realize my need and I realize, man, I can't meet this need in my own strength. I need the help of another who is greater than me. You see, humility creates a dependence upon Christ. And not only does it create a dependence upon Christ, but it also fuels compassion. Humility fuels compassion. Well, what is compassion at the end of the day? Compassion really is when you are seeing a need and you are willing to do something to intentionally inconvenience yourself. You know it's going to inconvenience you. But you do it on purpose because you want to reach someone 
that no one else has potentially reached. You want to show someone something that's real, something that's tangible. You want to connect with someone that you see that need and it moves your heart to action. This is what compassion does and humility fuels compassion because someone who is humble someone who is dependent upon Christ, someone who is keeping their heart in that posture, who is, has their life anchored in the gospel, someone who is blessed, they are looking. They are looking. How can I be salt? How can I be light? Because they are seeing need all around them. And the Holy Spirit is using them and connecting them so that the Spirit of God can work in you and through you to minister to those needs of compassion. One of my favorite examples of compassion is from Jesus when he healed the leper. If you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard this story. If you're newer to church, maybe you haven't quite heard this story, but leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease in, an, in that day, in, incurable really. And when you contracted leprosy, parts of your body began to rot off and you had to go live in leper colonies, completely ostracized from society. And the penalty for you touching someone or coming in contact with someone who was... Uh, who was healthy, who didn't have leprosy, was you would get stoned. They would kill you if you touched someone. And so it was a lot of risk for you to go out in public. And so you would have to walk around in shame, regularly letting people know you're unclean, walking around going, unclean, don't come near. I've got leprosy, I'm unclean. Could you imagine living your life that way? And the only people you can hang out with are people who are sick just like you, with varying degrees of this terrible disease. And then... In that day, Jesus sees a man from afar off who has leprosy. He's walking around. He's going unclean. And he yells out at Jesus because he knows the penalty if he gets too close. But he's wondering if maybe Jesus will just show some compassion. Maybe if Jesus will just show him a little bit of mercy. And he yells out from afar. And he says, Jesus, would you have mercy on me? Would you, would you heal me of this? I, I, I'm so tired of this. I'm afraid. I, I, I want your healing touch. I know you're able and Jesus does something incredible in this story. Do you think that Jesus, in all of his power, had the ability to speak to that man from afar off and say, uh, hey, buddy, stay back there. <laughs> uh, how about you be healed over there, right? Do you think Jesus had the ability to just speak and that man could be healed from a distance? Of course Jesus did. We have several examples of Jesus doing miracles without him having to be present, without him touching anyone. But the point of compassion, the contact point that we read in Scripture is where Scripture tells us in this story that Jesus touched the leper. It blows my mind when I think about it. It was compassion because Jesus knew that this man had not experienced the touch of a healthy person in a long time. And Jesus wanted not only to heal him of his, of his disease, but show him that he was giving him all of the compassion that heaven had to offer in that moment loving him right where he was, touching that leper. And it was that compassion to touch someone no one else had, to move him beyond what was socially acceptable. It was that compassion that did that. A humble heart is going to continue to keep the door open with a non-believer. And so as we're living in the noise, as we're living with all these things happening around us, as we have people who are unbelievers who are all around us in our jobs, maybe even in our families, maybe people in our friend circles. How do we now interact with people at a level where we can share the gospel with them when they are rejecting certain things about our message? 
Do we change the message and somehow make it more palatable for them so that they will like us better? Do we try to maybe avoid certain things so that they will like Jesus and warm up to him? Are we trying to assist Jesus and trying to help him? Or, or is Christ enough? You see, it's humility that will help us navigate those relationships. Not us trying to change the gospel. Amen? We should not alter the gospel. We should not water it down. The gospel is still truth. It was true enough to be presented to me in a way where I recognize my sin. I repented of my sin. And it is just as potent for anyone who has not yet come to faith in Christ. Amen? And we have to trust in the sufficiency of Christ that he is enough. But as people look through this lens of acceptance and this value, here's where real acceptance comes from. And this is our big idea for today. Acceptance from God requires humility. And I want you to really think about this. Acceptance from God requires humility. It requires humility. And so we have to keep the door open. I don't want to shut the door. I want to keep the door open in those relationships. That may mean people talk bad about me. That may mean people reject me, reject the things that I am presenting to them in, in humility and in love and, and in grace. But at the same time, I still have to remain humble towards even those who reject and understand that my life is still being salt and light. I'm still planting and watering and it is still God who brings about the heart change and who brings about the increase. And so I have to be humble lest I think that people coming to faith in Christ is somehow contingent upon me. That it's somehow, if I don't do this, oh man, God's job isn't going to get done. You know, we have to understand we get to be a part of this, amen? Requires, it requires humility on our part because you can't force someone to be humble. You can't force someone into this place of recognizing their sin. All we can do is be open. All we can do is remain humble in our relationships. All we can do is remain patient throughout the process. All we can do is continue to live our lives dependent upon Christ and share that with other people. The gospel is what continues to temper our hearts to remain humble because you need to understand anyone who receives Christ, anyone, anyone, they're going to have to come to a place of humility and you can't force someone to be humble. If there was a formula to make people humble, man, uh, let's, let's go out and let's do that. Let's take that pill, right? But it doesn't work that way. This is something that has to be worked in their heart where they see their need. So our job as believers in Christ is to keep the door open and to stay humble ourselves. Because it's the same thing that it took for us to receive Christ. It's the same thing that it takes for us to continue in this relationship with Christ. It's this faith that's really driven by this posture of humility that recognizes my need and never stops recognizing that. Always stays humble because as I stay humble, now my heart's in a better position to be more compassionate to others. Especially those who are in need. Especially those who are on the outside. Amen? Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way. Romans 12 and verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, he says, we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We just finished up going verse by verse through 1 Peter. Let's flip back over there to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
hopefully a lot of your Bibles kind of just flop open to that because we stayed in 1 Peter for quite a while. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. He says this again. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Looking for someone who is not walking in humility. Looking for someone who will be susceptible to pride and who will give in to that idea of self-reliance. You see, humility is always willing to learn and listen. All the time. So many times when we're engaging or interacting with someone whom we may disagree with, we're not even really listening to what they're saying because we're preloaded with our answers. And sometimes we're so excited and ready and waiting for them to just shut up so we can just, you know, unload on them and unleash on them what we've been thinking to say that we're not really listening. And humility, a posture of humility will listen. A posture of humility is always wanting to learn because, man, you can learn so much by listening to someone's story. You can learn so much by listening and by leaning in, asking good questions, and not just simply waiting for them to stop talking so you can just fix them, but staying humble, being a person who listens. Humility will always seek to understand. Even when I don't agree, I can still seek to try to understand. And so that way, as I lead with humility, and as I love with humility in the relationships that God has given me, especially when it comes to being salt, being light in the darkness, it helps to tender that person's heart to be more open, more receptive. As I keep my side of the drawbridge down, no matter what insults they may hurl at me, no matter how they may disagree, if I continue to be a person who's showing compassion and grace, and I don't just want to get defensive and retaliate just because someone may disagree with me, because, man, we have this platform available to us nowadays in the form of social media where we can all be jerks without consequence. And we can say things that we would never say to people's faces. And if we had the audacity to say, well, I'd say it to their face, some of the things we say, we should be ashamed that we would say that to someone's face. Because are we being humble in our approach? That doesn't mean we're not being honest. Of course, we continue to be honest. We continue to speak the truth in love. But man, the attitude and the heart posture that we are conveying truth matters. I'll say that again so because you guys shouted me down after I said that. The heart posture in which we convey truth matters. Because often something that is true, spoken with the wrong motive and without the posture of humility, can be received as arrogance. Even though what is being said is true, it can still be received as arrogance or combative intentionally combative because sometimes man we like to argue and we just like to fight and here's what we really like mm, we like to be right <laughs> and we know this whole thing about we need to speak the truth in love right you want to know how to know you're speaking the truth in love this is a good diagnostic tool 
to make sure you always speak the truth in love. When you are more concerned about the person that you are speaking truth to, when you are more concerned about their standing in the eyes of God than you are being proven right. That's how you can know you're speaking the truth in love. Because you're coming from a place of concern, a place of love, a place of compassion, a place of humility. If you are more concerned with being right and you just want them to see that you're right because maybe, maybe you are. But the way you convey things and your position and the posture of your heart matters a lot. Humility is willing to speak hard and difficult truths in love to other people because their care outweighs their desire to simply be accepted. You see, we'll wager maybe someone rejecting us because we're more concerned about that truth being shared, but the way we present it and the way we posture, it matters a lot. And the way we try to continue to create connection and relationship, the way we try to keep that door down, the, that, that side of the drawbridge down, it matters. Because humility tempers our tone in sharing truth. Because it enables us to be more empathetic. It enables us to be more Christ-like in our frustrations and how we communicate those frustrations. Humility is willing to admit wrongdoing and even wrong assumptions. Humility seeks peace and open communication. And church, if we're going to be for these cities and for all people, we must have a posture of humility. Yes, we must be full of the truth. Yes, we must be ready to speak that truth unashamedly. Yes, we must be bold, but we must not be arrogant. And we must not be people who are just trying to stir up arguments and people who are just trying to have this, this posturing of I told you so. And we must have this posture of I want to understand. I want to love you where you're at. I want to help you. I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to understand. I'm not going to change my position, my posture, but I'm going to love you. And I'm going to accept you as a person right where you're at. Because humility sees people first, not problems. A lot of us, when we see people, we just see the problem. And when we identify the problem, maybe that a person has, and some people wear those things really boldly. And you're like, yeah, that person has an obvious problem. And we make assumptions about people based on the way that they look, the way they carry themselves, things they say, things they do. And when we see them, we go, wow, that person, whoo, man, they got issues. They've got problems. And we make all of these characterizations and we make all these stereotypical associations. And it's not very Christ-like. It's not very humble. It's not going to be something that is going to open their hearts more to the gospel. Actually, it's going to only be reinforcing the stereotypes they've come to believe and the stereotypes they've come to buy into about people who claim to follow Christ. Because it's much different. It's not being passive. I'm not suggesting passivity at all. Actually, I'm, I'm, what I'm suggesting requires a Holy Spirit boldness. But it requires that that boldness really be of the Spirit. To really be reaching out the way Christ reached out to us. When I think about how Christ reached out to me, saved me from my sin, how my eyes were open, how I was once lost, but now I see. When I think about the patience that Christ employed for, my, for me, <laughs> when I think about the way that he's loved me through all my, oh man, all my pride, all my thinking, all my self-righteousness, golly, I am thankful 
but the gospel. And I realized, man, I need the gospel just as much now as I did when I first heard it and responded to it. Amen? Because humility will put me in a position where I see people differently and I'm loving them where they're at. Jesus saw children and he welcomed them. The disciples saw annoyances and problems. Remember that story? Jesus said, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven actually belongs to them. You see, Jesus welcomed them. The disciples were like, you're getting on his nerves. You're getting in his way. Jesus saw the city full of people like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus saw when he looked out over the city. Jesus noticed the woman with the issue of blood touching him. When everybody else was just grabbing at his clothes and touching him, even the disciples were blown away. How, how could you pick out one person touching you? Like, how, what do you mean someone touched you? He, he noticed her. Jesus saw the woman caught in adultery as a person who needed forgiveness and truth. And the Pharisees saw her as someone deserving of death. The Pharisees were like, this lady needs to die according to the way we look at things, the way we interpret things. And Jesus showed her love, mercy, compassion, and then spoke the truth, told her, now go and sin no more. He was the only one worthy to throw the stone. You remember? Jesus saw the thief on the cross hanging next to him as a man who had found a source of hope in, in Christ in his dying moments. Everyone else just saw a thief who was getting what he deserved. Jesus saw a man who was be used to turn the world upside down as salt and light. Others just saw a tax collector or a simple fisherman. You see, church, our identity comes from acceptance from God. And that requires humility. It requires that. So listen, the same thing it takes to receive Christ is the same thing it takes to live for Christ and to share Christ with others. So my question for us today, is do you see your need? Do you see that need in others? Do you see the call to be salt and light? Because man, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are even reviled for my sake, blessed are those people, man, who are wrongly accused, Blessed are those people because you're salt, you're light. And man, if, if, if you're out there just throwing this salt out, in, but there's no saltiness to it, then it's, it's worthless. Is there saltiness to us? Is there this idea of us being light, man? Because if, if there is, we're not supposed to hide it. We're not supposed to just insulate it in Christian subculture where it's all safe and warm and snuggly. We're supposed to be people who are bearing that light everywhere we go, showing compassion, being people who are humble in our approach, willing to repent when we mess up, when we get it wrong, because you will mess up, you will get it wrong, all of us, and we continually keep that posture of humility, and we continually remind ourselves of our need, so how do I do that? Well, you declare your need, you remind yourself of the gospel. And when I think about the gospel, man, I go to this place of prayer with God where, man, I'm deepening that dependence. I, I, I learn more about his character and his heart through his word, and he's shaping me. He's 
keeps molding me as I deepen that dependence. Prayer is one of the strongest vehicles that God has given us to deepen our dependence. Are we praying? Are we leaning in to prayer? Because he'll work in us a greater dependence. He'll work in us a greater awareness of our need. And he'll also work in us a greater awareness that he is sufficient. He is more than enough so we can be content so we can love others right where they're at and that's the real acceptance that everyone needs not just someone saying hey you're okay you keep doing what you're doing no 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 no. that's that's not healthy real acceptance means are you accepted by God because at the end of the day that's all that's going to matter are you in right standing with God because at the end of the day that's all that's going to matter at the end of all the minutes all the seconds all the hours all the weeks all the years that we live the only thing that's going to matter is am I in right standing with God and the only way to do that is to declare my need to be humbled and say, Lord, I need you to be humbled, not to go, no, I'm a good person. I'll make it. I mean, God will look at all the good merit badges I've earned on earth, all the nice things I've done. No, no, no. That's not what gets you there. That's not what makes you right in the eyes of God. It's this humility of declaring I have a need and I believe Jesus is the only one who is sufficient to meet that need that need is I need to be right with God I need forgiveness man I need to be made new I need to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him and if you haven't done that I want to invite you to receive Christ today not because of anything I'm inviting you to Christ's invitation has always been there but if you're in this place where you've been wrestling with God and you're like, man, that describes me of this person who's been self-reliant. Just declare your dependence. Lord, I need you today. We want to pray with you. We want to help you to grow on your journey. And so we have a prayer team that's going to be up here at the end of service. And they'll pray for, for you, pray with you. And we can place you with a mentoring person today just to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. And they will walk with you and help you answer some questions. We can connect you with that person today. So please say yes to following Jesus if that's you. And if you're coming to that awareness, maybe you've come to church your whole life. And today is the day where you realize, man, I thought I was a Christ follower. But I realize I've just been going through the motions. I really haven't humbled myself. And God is showing me things and breaking something in me today. If that's you, respond to that, man. Don't be so prideful. Don't be so prideful that you're like, well, what do people think about me? Who cares what people think about you? All that matters right now is you and God. In this moment, this is all that matters. And those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, are we continuing to allow that salt to be spread, that light to be shown? Is God working in us humility or have we gotten lukewarm? Have we gotten to this place of indifference? Have we gotten to this place of where we're just angry all the time? If that's it, man, we have to be humbled. So God, humble us under your mighty hand. Humble us, Lord. Create a dependence in us. Create, Lord, a, an awareness of the sufficiency of Christ. And may we lean into that. And may you change us. And may you change the priority in which we live our life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.